You're listening to a Malu Entertainment original podcast. Hey everyone, and on this episode of the Avely Diverse Chronicles, I chat with the wonderful Samuel Hunter. He is one of Australia's elite male escorts, and we chat about his journey into the industry and the involvement with disability that he has had, not only with the NDIS, but also touching base with just an organisation connecting people with disabilities to sex workers and the barriers he has found that the NDIS creates between disability and sexuality. So why not join us right now? The following episode contains topics which some listeners may find distressing. If you are in need of support, please reach out to Lifeline, Beyond Blue, or other such services in your area. How did you get into the industry? Um, in 2019, I was working in a sex shop in Western yeah. Sydney, and I yeah. um, I read this article about a woman who was fighting the uh, a woman with. Uh, MS, who was fighting the uh, NDIS about using her funding to access sexual services. Um, <laughs> and she eventually won that case with them. Um, but I kind of spoke to my the manager of the sex shop about it, and she told me about um, Touching Base and the documentary Scarlet Road. And I guess I kind of I started thinking about... Um, like the issues uh, people with disability would have in in exploring their sex lives, their sexualities, etc. Uh, like even even in terms of working in a sex shop, yeah. like most like most sex shops in Sydney, you know, this was upstairs and it was completely inaccessible. Uh-huh. And, yeah. But like, I mean, you know, heaps of people to that say. Um, yeah, but you know you can buy everything online these days. But if you if like if you can't push a button, you know, or if you can't reach the toy to where yeah. it needs to go, you don't know until you go into a sex shop and actually hold that item and and try to push those buttons, etc. Yeah, exactly. Um, because of the item that it is, unless it's mm. a faulty product, you can't get a return on a sex toy because you know the societal yeah you know, what. I guess most people look at people with disability through the medical model where uh, you are broken and we must fix you. That mm. that whole gaze that happens there. Um, yeah, so I kind of... I, at the time, I was pretty... Um, I had a pretty low self-esteem at the time. And uh, mm. I'd like... But I thought about it that, that day and I was like, I wonder if that's something I can do. And... Uh, and I kind of got to the, I went to the decision that I could, but then I kind of, you know, was like looking in the mirror going, well, I could, but I'm not going to ever get booked. So I'll just leave that. And it was about a year later till I actually got, went ahead with it. After the, that first, um, COVID lockdown in 2020, um, I like, I did the pool funds from super and I used that to, you know, like build a website for, Samuel Hunter and start advertising and doing all the photos and everything. Mm. And 
but I also did my training um, to be a support worker through higher up, a disability I... support worker. So that's uh, that's what I started. Um, yeah, interacting a lot more with anybody with a disability. Do you find now that your self-esteem has like increased from what you do? Um, yeah, kind of. It does. And then I'm like, you know, is this false self-esteem by, you know, having these people kind of build me up? Mm. You know, is that actually how yeah. I look at myself? And look, it, it's a day-to-day -day thing. You know, some days I'm like, oh, what am I doing? And then other days I'm like, fuck yeah, dude, <laughs> look, looking sharp. Let's go. <laughs> You know what, I think, I think we all go through that because I've been doing this shit for going on 19 years and even even recently I've had days where I was like, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> but then you've got these good moments of like, I'm, I know how much of an impact I'm having not only on myself but other people and it makes it all worth it and I'm getting the sense that you feel similar to that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But like in, in in terms of, uh, you know how we're viewing ourselves. Like, hmm. it's it's pretty rare that I take like, especially like a, a nude mirror selfie or something that I'm like, hey, that's pretty hot. And then I've I've kind of done a bit more in the last few months, and then I was like, actually, I don't mind that. And then that's sort of how I finally went. Yeah, maybe I will start an OnlyFans. <laughs> you finally become to the point of being content with yourself as well and that's the most awesome feeling when you can be content with yourself I think totally yeah. totally and it's been yeah. a, quite a journey to get there would you like to expand on that journey a bit over eight years ago I had a pretty severe motorcycle crash um had a um, compound tibia fracture which is where the bone pops through your skin Damn. Um, yeah. Broke, broke broke my jaw in two places and uh, there was lots of complications in the hospital. So that first time I was in there for two months. Mm. Um, and then basically for the next year, every three months or so, the metal in my leg would break. Um, so I had, I think, four more surgeries. Holy. Okay. Wow. So it, it was like it was nearly uh, a year and a half from the crash until my final surgery. Um, oh and gosh. and like and like each time you know I get out of hospital and I'm in a wheelchair and then mm -hmm. I end up on go down to crutches and then I go down to a walking stick and then I'm starting yeah. to get somewhere and then like the metal would break right backwards. Again, so. Oh fuck! Yeah. Like the physicality of it was pretty tough, but the worst part was uh, there was a medication uh, issue mm. uh, that that really affected my mental health very badly. Um, and none of the psychs that I saw at the time ever flagged that it was the medication and like I'd be mm. self-harming and nobody went, oh, maybe it's this level of medication yeah. you're on. Um, oh, my gosh. And you, then... You would think as medical professionals they'd be able to flag that pretty quickly. Yeah, you would think so. Yeah. Especially yeah. when it's like out of the blue sort yeah. of things, you know, it's not, there's not a history of this. It's just, oh, oh you've started doing that. Yeah. So were you doing a support work around that time as well? Or? Uh, no, not during that time at all. Um, 
I was working, you know, retail sort of yeah. things. Because I'm, I'm feeling like that experience may have made you realise how how difficult things become for people. Would that be correct in saying? You know what? I feel like when I do these kind of interviews and talk about these things, uh, that's like people like to join those two together. But I mm. can genuinely say like when I was reading that article and talking to my manager about people with disability, et cetera, mm. I, I didn't have that. I didn't okay. embrace that label of being disabled. It's been like a year since I have. And, and it was yeah. not a... It's not a, oh, I don't want to be seen as being disabled. It was just a, there are people far worse off than mm. I am. I, so I how did, you, how did you feel about embracing that label then? Finally did. Look, it was, <laughs> it, it was a big week of embracing several mm. labels. Um, yeah. And it was kind of, yeah, it was good. And it, like, it's, uh, it's good to acknowledge it. Like, I'm quite... I'm very passable. Most people don't know that you know, my leg has been shortened by an inch. They don't yeah. see the the wedge built up into the right shoe that I have. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you know, I can forget as well. And I'll be like, oh, you know, it's only a 25-minute walk from the city back home. I'll do that and mm -hmm. I'll get home and I'll just be in agony. So it doesn't affect your work at all? By the no. No, that's well, so Well, so... So, <laughs> I, so my crash was ha happened when I was coming home from work. So it was covered by work cover. And yeah. at the end, when they were signing me off on everything, I had to see this final doctor who had to measure all the stars and et cetera. Mm. Um, and as, as we were leaving his office, he was like, look, you know, you're going to get a payout. It's definitely not going to be life changing, but like your leg length discrepancy, et cetera, um, that, is going to change so you he's like you should try to look start looking for work where you're not on your feet i don't, I don't think he thought getting into sex work was the option but that's yeah where I'm well, at. Okay. so that's that's why it doesn't yeah that's why it doesn't really affect work obviously those are the positives for you but if you found um the more clients you see that you've found more positives for them and that's impacted you yeah, when I started, I didn't really have any idea of what my clients would be like, um, mm. why they'd be looking for a worker, et cetera. And it's been, uh, it's continuously just hearing feedback from clients about what a difference it makes to like to their life in general. Like not even just, the, oh, that was, you know, heaps of fun. And I, you know, had this amazing, you know, sexual experience or whatever. It's, mm. it's the how that then bleeds into the rest of their life, whether that's their confidence or um, like having a better way of like setting boundaries in their personal life. Um, mm, so social media for touching base. So how did you get into that? Uh, well, uh, when we had that massive four month lockdown in Sydney mm. in 2021, I was kind of, um, you know, looking at where I wanted to go with my career uh in sex work and how I could start giving back a bit and you know touching base was the reason I was even in this yeah. work and I was doing well from it so I kind of wanted to give something back and 
they were pretty inconsistent with their social media stuff. And so I emailed them and it was like, hey, you know, are you looking for um, someone to take over your social media? Like you don't even have an Instagram and that sort of thing. Oh, and okay. they just they just grabbed me and went, yes, come and help us out of this. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So that's been, pretty good now. <laughs> yeah, so I've been with them just a bit over two years, I think. Awesome. Like, I, I think I told you this after we started chatting that um, I was talking to one of my clients who's a paraplegic. And she, I think we were talking about, you know, porn and stuff. And she's like, you know, I'm not, I'm not the sort of, person that goes that you know um people want to see in porn and and i was like uh excuse me have you heard of uh let me show you melina <laughs> and her like her uh just showed her your twitter yeah and she was yeah she was mind blown by that and uh. was really and and then in the biggest coincidence of all time it was mm -hmm. later that night was when you followed me back on Twitter. I was like, oh, my God, her ears must have been burning. <laughs> I think it was. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, that's awesome because I think that's the whole thing of my my work is if I've inspired, well, not inspired, I hate that word, but I think if I've encouraged someone to be more content with themselves, if they've got a different physical exterior to the norm, if you like, if I've encouraged them to be themselves, then... Hey, I've done part of my job already. Do you find with having um, clients with disability that the 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 blurred line of consent? Do you do you find it easy for people to consent for themselves? Because I know a lot of support workers are like, no, I'm not going to take my client to to a um, a service provider because they can't consent. Well, how can how can they you not consent? I mean? Like, um. You know, there can be a blurred line, say, if somebody has an intellectual disability. Um, mm. So I, how, do you, I, I, how do you combat that? That was my question. Well, I personally haven't had any client okay. with an intellectual disability. Um, right. Just um, mostly people with MS and CP. Um, mm. And there's one who it, it's quite hard to understand what she says in right. person, but... Yeah. But we have very, um, like she sends me a very specific email about how she wants things to go in the session. Um, and then it's easier to check in about, you know, moving on to other things or yeah. et cetera, et cetera. But Good. without having to say outline heavy things. Um, That's really good. Yeah. I had quite a few friends that have wanted to, and all their support workers are like, no. I'm like, but they, they have autonomy over their lives. Right. You can go and bang your husband or your wife or whatever it is. No one has to know about it. But, yet yeah, you're stopping this, what, maybe a 40-year-old person from getting pleasure. So, yeah. But it, but it's also, like, that's not the role of the support worker. Yeah, exactly. At all. And, yeah. you know, I, I think the, uh, like, I, I was on a, in an expo uh, representing touching base and mm -hmm. it was a disability expo so it was a lot of support workers that were there and coming up and talking to us yeah and and I, I guess the way you know that I would put it to them would be like well if your client asks you to go to the bottle shop to get them a bottle of vodka or whatever mm. and they do that every single day for the week 
yeah. every week. That's yeah. not that's not your decision to say, uh, I think you've got a drinking problem. That's Yeah, exactly. You, like yeah. you could you could maybe bring it up with a person um that's listed about, you know, are you aware that this person consumes that and I'm just concerned about their health, mental health, whatever. That's a separate yeah. thing. But at the end of the day, it's not what you personally think is right or wrong. That's not yeah. the role of a support worker. Because the amount of times that I've come across, even with alcohol, people are like, oh, no, I won't buy in that because that's enabling him, him to then drink it. So, therefore, I, I'm responsible for him getting drunk and we can't do that. I'm like, no, but you're not shoveling it down his mouth. You know what I mean? It's his choice to put it up to his mouth or mm-hmm. ask for you to put it up to his mouth. It's not, you're not shoveling, in, you know, and that just it really annoys me. Well, okay, I guess the other you know easier I mean? <laughs> one, the easier one would be if somebody was a smoker yeah. and they asked their support worker to buy them cigarettes. Mm. You know, that's yeah. you know, that's their choice, how they got into smoking or why they continue yeah. to smoking. But it's not it's like just... just because you may not like smoking or be anti-smoking, that's not for you to say that they yeah. you're not going to buy them cigarettes. So I guess that brings me on to like when you've started thick work, have you found that less frustrating that you don't have to deal with that side of the support? Like you can just say, well, I'm providing a service that I know these people want and, you know, if support workers were involved, sometimes that can't happen because it's too, they're too precious, you know what I mean? Uh, Does that make sense? <laughs> well, I mean, obviously I wasn't that kind of support worker either. Like, yeah. You know, if somebody said this, I'm like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because even when I've been, like, camming at home, wherever a lot of support workers I've had said oh no I'm not comfortable with that like but you're not doing it just because you're on shift doesn't mean I have to stop what I'm doing but yeah it's affected my mental health because I'm like do I have to come out to every single person that walks through my door I shouldn't have to you know and even when it comes to self-pleasure it's that's you know you always have to tell someone it's frustrating yeah. yeah that's I mean and that's uh, especially like the self-pleasure thing mm. you know that's uh, I think when I've done some stuff for media stuff for touching base and people are talking about you know why well, why should sex services be you know, allowed in the NDIS I'm like look we're, we're one bad car crash away from mm. not being able to even masturbate yeah. You know, yeah. How would you feel if you had to go the rest of your life without that? Yeah. Um, yeah. And and I think that's what frustrates me though is, and that's apart for lots of humans, I find is yeah. that they don't have that empathy for anybody unless they have experienced it or somebody very close to them has experienced it. Otherwise, it doesn't affect them. Yeah. yeah like, There's no realization there until you're actually in that space, which is really. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 really bizarre to me, and even and I guess that's how I came into the industry as well because I was that frustrated client, and I thought, well, surely there's plenty of people out there like me 
So I'm able to relieve that stress in a way from them that I'm feeling and that gives back to myself as well. So Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting how um sex doesn't meet community standards as soon as disability is involved. Like what what is that? Yeah. Because yeah. so, I it's, think yeah, go on. It's that perpetual child thing that we that uh, you know society puts on somebody with a disability. They're like, oh, they must be cared and nurtured for like a child. Yes. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like we we all have to be sheltered because but it all comes down to again consent because what I found is that they reckon well a lot of people reckon that they or think I should say think that they can't prove that someone with a disability is consented because maybe they're not of sound mind. And it's just like, oh my God. Seriously, if someone came to you with the same question, you'd be like, I'm not answering that. And we're not going right. to. Yeah. I don't know. The whole disability and sexuality thing continues to be such a frustrating topic. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I feel like lots of um, as much progress as is made in the world of sexuality, in mm-hmm. general, there's also greater pushback from those further opposed to that sort of thing. Do you, do you think that's more of a government influence or do you think it's just people being ignorant? I think a lot of that comes from, like, religious basis. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. And then, obviously, religion still has a huge place in governments for some reason. And influence a lot of decisions, mm-hmm. but just yeah, the whole the whole idea that um, you know, sex is this this hush hush thing, and mm. sex work is stigmatized, yeah. and and yeah, like it's just. Yeah. I, I like to think that we're progressing, but little bit by little bit, I guess. Well, I guess all the work that you do with Touching Base is slightly progressing as well. And I guess you and I can't speed that up, but at least we're doing our bit. So, you know. Well, I did get, um, when I was at that expo for Touching Base, um, Mm -hmm. a a woman in in a power chair did abuse us and call us a bunch of whores. That reminds me, actually, I was doing a um, talk for, it was a disability expo, but it was in Melbourne, and I didn't know, but there was a lot of representatives from what was then DHS and also a few, you know, disability service providers. So I'm just going on and being the uh, explicit person that I am, and then they came up to me and said, oh, I'm representing DHS, and I'm like, Oh, okay, I kind of want to run and leave out the door. But it, it was good. You could see that they were actively listening. Not that it made a difference, but it thought it put the idea in people's heads that things need to change. What things are coming up for Touching Mace in that sense? Could you reveal anything? As in promotion to try and change that stigmatic thing? That I mean, we're perpetually, um, you know, lobbying to get sexual services actually properly included in the NDIS and have, you know, its own line item. Because is uh, that, would that just be in New South Wales or would that be across the board, do you think? 
Look, I actually think that that's where the issue lies, is that the yeah. NDIS is obviously a national scheme, but each state has different laws around sex work. Yeah. But, I mean, that could be included in the in the wording of it, you know, mm. to, to, be, to be allowed to access sexual services, um, you know, mm. in, in, in line with the laws of your state. But that also, um, you know, but then you would be able to travel somewhere. Yeah, where it is legal absolutely. to do that, um, and I feel like that's it. But no, that like, yeah. So it would be you know nationwide for that because like at the yeah. moment, and we've got letters from the minister's office about that. Yes, sex services are allowed on the NDS under mm. certain circumstances, but like without that line item, without actually acknowledging it, and then on top of that. There's so many reports of people being rejected immediately mm. by trying to add it, and you just always have to fight it back. Yeah, like when I was, I actually did some research. I knew I was going to get rejected, so I just thought I'll do it anyway to see what happens. And they basically said that if I have a support worker, that if I need them to assist, then it becomes a luxury. And if it wasn't for the NDIs, would I be paying for it anyway? And so I I said no in my research. I said no. And they said, regardless of whether you could or not, it's still a luxury. So I came fighting back and I said, well, is it a luxury if you're going home and then sleeping with your partner? Is it a luxury? Are you able to go to the pub and go pick up a random person and have a one-night stand? Is that a luxury? And they go, no. I said, well, how, how does it become a luxury for someone with a disability? It doesn't. And they couldn't. Look, that was my kind of uh, thing I would always say as well about <laughs> um, why it's somebody with a disability, especially, say, um, mobility-wise. Yeah. Um, you know, if you, like if you went home with somebody from the pub, uh, you know, your support worker or the person helps you into bed, and then the support worker goes, you're stuck there with that random stranger that you've just uh-huh. met in a pub, you know. Yeah. It's 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 a tough it's a great line because then the I can see where they're saying from the support worker, then they're putting you in a position that could be potentially dangerous. Yeah, I get that. But we all experience that, whether we have a disability or not, quote unquote. Um yeah, I, yeah, it's a hard one. Why is the support worker make it a dangerous situation? I'm a bit lost. No, no, no. So the support worker may think that putting, like, putting you on the bed, let's say it's you, putting you on the bed and then leaving and not coming back could yeah. potentially put you in a dangerous situation, which they could avoid it and avoid it if they didn't do it. You know what I mean? So if somebody gets assaulted... And the um, support workers put them in that position to potentially get assaulted. Then they can say, "Well, if I didn't do that, that wouldn't have happened." But we're all in that same situation. Yeah, and it, and it, but again, that's that's also that whole line of mm. Um, mm. of you know of, of the person with disability having agency, and that's their choice to do yeah, that. And that's right. absolutely up to the support worker. Yeah, which is yeah. So I can see it from. The support worker's point of view, but it doesn't make it right either. Hmm. 
so yeah, it's 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 really tough. Um, so, yeah. The other thing with the NDIS is that like uh, the the frontline people who work for NDIS, according to them, that sexual services are not allowed by the, you know, you're not allowed to use your funding for that. Yeah. As in, like, blatantly, they have to say that, and it's, and that's not the truth. Mm, um, so exactly. yeah, that's something else that's we keep yeah. hearing about. Yeah, I wonder who makes these decisions. There was something in a grapevine that the person who made that decision had a religious background, and they're like, "Yeah, well, that makes a whole, a whole lot of sense from what we were saying before as well." And um, yeah. Well, um, you know, Stuart oh. Robert was the, the That's his minister. name. Yes, thank you. And he's, you know, fundamentalist, really. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, just, it's a whole frustrating circle of unnecessary stuff that goes on and hopefully some barriers can be broken somehow. I just wish I knew the answers to that so I would you know, go there with a bulldozer and break them all down. But, but, um, yeah. There's a lot of walls, though. Yeah, there is a lot of walls. So, um, yeah, I guess that's, for me, camming is, is breaking a bit of wall because people can be sitting in their chairs watching me or watching whoever and have that kind of release. It, it's a little one, but it's not exactly what people want, but it's something. It, it's something I am passionate about obviously it's the reason mm. i'm even doing this job in the first place and it's why i'm generally quite happy to do any kind of media stuff so as long as i can drop that in there it'd be really good to get more insight into you and how you come about into the industry and stuff so it's been really good well thanks for having me on mel <laughs> anyway thank you so much it's been awesome thank you Thanks for joining us, everyone, and remember to connect with us on our socials and our Patreon. We'd love to hear from you, and also with your feedback and ideas. Join us next time on the ADLI Best Chronicles. <laughs>